Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Before we dive in, I'd just like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, PensionBee. They have helped over 70,000 customers be pension confident by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. They also have a great Shure compliant pension option as well, which is why we personally really like them. And you can check out a review of their offering on the Shure side on our website. نستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن خير الحديث كتاب الله وخير الحدي حد محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار ثم أما بعد. The idea behind these sessions is that we, Islamic finance guru and this community that we've got, we talk a lot about finance and economics and money matters and making money, but it's very important to make sure that we are constantly refreshing our iman and our Islam. Because the whole point of why we're here in these groups as opposed to any other group is because we want to make sure that we do this money stuff in as halal and in a way as pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as possible. So these are the Fasir sessions, um, mixing the two together. So we go through the Quran. It's a project that I started a few years ago where we go through the Quran and we pick out the finance focused on its investment or economics or money or charity or career focused ayahs of the Quran. And we just reflect on it quickly and just think about it, look at the tafsir and do a bit of the dabbur of the Qur'an and hopefully that rejuvenates us in terms of our iman. The verse for today is a verse in Surah Al-Imran and at the first reading you might not fully appreciate why this is finance focused or investment or money focused but I thought it would be interesting to reflect on it all the same because I think that there are some very deep points here that can be drawn out. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the Qur'an, وَلَئِن قُتِلْتُمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَوْ مُتْتُمْ لَمَغْفِرَةٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرَحْمَةٌ خَيْرٌ مِّمَّا يَجْمَعُونَ 
should you be martyred or die in the cause of Allah, then his forgiveness and mercy are far better than whatever wealth those who stay behind accumulate. So the verse is talking to people about jihad and warfare. And it's saying that if you were to die, if you were to become a martyr or a shaheed, then his forgiveness and his mercy that you would get as a result of that great sacrifice would be far, far better than any wealth that you could end up getting. And this whole verse got me thinking about a few different themes that it brings out. The first theme is the insignificance of life vis-a-vis the akhirah. The second is that this actually has, interestingly, it can have a very freeing effect once you realize the temporariness or the futility of life. And then finally, this concept of human beings like to keep score and what is the thing that we should keep score by. And I just wanted to spend some time reflecting on those three themes. So talking about the first theme, about how this worldly life is insignificant. This is a image, this is a concept, a principle that is ingrained within the Islamic tapestry. Like if you look at the Nusus, the Quran and the Sunnah, the Hadith, it is ingrained within that. That, وَمَا الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مَتَاعُ الْغُرُورِ And the life of this world is merely for enjoyment of delusion. It's just frivolous stuff. It's not lasting, it's a mirage. And this is something, this is a message that you will find adorning the Qur'an and throughout the Qur'an and the Hadith. And this is something that you find in all sorts of, like in the Hadith of Prophet he said, the life of this world compared to the hereafter is just like when one of you dips his finger in the ocean, let him contemplate how much water his finger would carry. That's the example of this dunya versus the akhirah, and that's a hadith in Muslim. Another verse of the Quran says, Know that the life of this world is but amusement and diversion and adornment and boasting to one another and competition and increasing of wealth and children. Like the example of a rain whose resulting plant growth pleases the tillers, but then it dries and you see it turned yellow, and then it becomes scattered debris, and then the hereafter is severe punishment, and forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and approval, and what is the worldly life except enjoyment and delusion. And this whole thing about how insignificant this world is, this is a relative term, right? It's not insignificant relative to Mars. It's not insignificant relative to the sun. This is insignificant relative to the Akhirah. And we have lots and lots of verses about how large the Akhirah is, how Jannah and Jahannam, how enormous they are. You've got these hadith that talk about how someone on horseback would need to travel years in order to circumnavigate the size of Jahannam and Jannah. Jahannam is described are so large that in the Qur'an, Jahannam is asked, and this is to indicate the size of Jahannam, Jahannam is asked after everyone has been chucked in. Jahannam is asked, Halim talat, are you full? And then Jahannam will answer, Halmim mazid, are there more people? And that, if we reflect on the Arabic, is an incredibly profound way of just indicating the scale of what we're dealing with. Now, the lesson here for us, and I'm sure there's many lessons, but the one that struck out to me was that This should then therefore determine our priorities. If this dunya is not 1% of the reality of the important stuff, then 
surely that has to determine what we give priority to in this dunya as well. Because then this dunya becomes a means to that more meaningful end. And this dunya becomes that place where we try and maximize the really big outcome that could potentially come at the end. And for someone who then tries to go for like a local maximum, as they call it in maths, someone who tries to optimize for this dunya, that would be seen as very foolish behavior because they're literally missing the wood for the trees. So I think that if we really reflect on these verses, that's the message that we should take away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, And for those who disbelieve, their works are like a mirage in the desert. A thirsty person thinks that it is water, but then he reaches it, he finds that it is nothing, and he finds Allah there, he finds God there, instead to requite him fully for his works. God is the most efficient reckoner. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is saying that if you don't get this priority right, if you don't get this perspective right, then you are literally just thinking of this world as if it's a mirage. You are not seeing it for how it truly is. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in another verse, he says, if I remember correctly, that there is no one who is worse. That who is the biggest loser in this world in terms of his a'mal? That person that thinks that he's doing some like, great good deeds but actually all he is doing is earning himself jahannam or he's earning himself Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wrath and he's wasting his time that is because he's most likely got the wrong intentions he's optimizing for the wrong thing he's got the wrong priorities so the insignificance of this life is crucially important for us to be able to make sure that we are fully on track and by the way all of this you guys have heard what we talk about, the message that we give at Islamic Finance Guru. This is not, by the way, me saying this is a juxtaposition between money making and then seeing it as insignificant. Not at all. My view is, and I think the Islamic view is, that Islam is a holistic religion. The reason why Islam talks about, in the early part of the Quran, it talks about society, culture, inheritance, law, fighting, peace, warfare finances the reason why it talks about that is because islam is a way of life it's a way of conducting yourself in a way that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and in the way that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has designed this human body and the human society for and so what i am saying is that priorities should be aligned but that doesn't mean that money making in and of itself is somehow evil what it means though therefore is that money making and all of that stuff that we do should be trying to maximize that global maximum, which is the Akhirah. Just like our family life should be trying to maximize that global maximum, which is the Akhirah. Just like our careers should be maximizing that global maximum. Just like everything in our life should be doing that. So I don't want this to be misunderstood as money or this dunya is somehow evil in and of itself. But the point is that this dunya is just a means to that end. The second point that I wanted to make is that once you realize how insignificant this dunya is, then that should have a deeply freeing effect on us. And if we truly reflect on that, if we truly believe in that, and I, look, I'm on that journey myself, and I feel that if you are someone who truly has that deepness of iman, you really shouldn't feel any inferiority complex, any nerves when you're presenting, anything like that. 
obviously there's a natural tendency to have those kind of feelings as well. So I'm not saying be unnatural, but then you look at the Sahaba and the example of the Sahabi who walked into the palace of, I believe it was in Persia, I might be wrong, and he walked in and he was riding his hairy donkey or his hairy mule or his hairy horse and people were just laughing at him and thinking, who is this guy? And he just walked up and he was clomping away down the carpet, making a massive mess. And then he gave this speech to the ruler. He said, He gave him a speech. He said that we are a people that have been brought forth to take the servants from the worship of the servants to the worship of the Lord of the servants, from the constraints of this dunya to the vastness of the akhirah, from the cacophony or the discordance of all of the religions to the justice of Islam. These are people that they would fight in the day and then they would cry and weep during the night. And the spies, they would see this and they would be like, these are people that we can't fight with. That level of iman, this person to have that level of courage to be able to walk into somewhere like that and say what he said without any fear, that takes someone who really understands the position, the maqam that this world has vis-a-vis the akhirah and he truly believes that. But the point I'm making is that if we truly did achieve that stage, if we truly did approach that maqam, then actually everything in a weird way would become much easier in this dunya as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, O oh people, an example is presented for you. So listen to it. فَاسْتَمِعُولَ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Indeed, those who invoke beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never create as much as a fly, even if they gather together for that purpose. And if the fly should steal away from them a tiny thing, they would not be able to recover it from him. Weak are the pursuer and the pursued. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is saying that even a fly, you can't create that. So the glory and the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so overwhelming. And that's, by the way, the other thing that should give us a deeply freeing effect that I've been talking about. Because when you have a bigger brother, and I've never had a bigger brother, but when you have a bigger brother, and obviously my younger brothers and sisters have had bigger brothers, that has a deeply empowering effect for your family. And I remember one of my brothers in Fajr, he used to randomly get beaten up by this kid who just chase after him and just start punching him. So one morning we actually spotted like me and the one after me. We were just walking and we saw this happening. And so then I had to send my younger brother to rescue the even younger brother from this person. And he started beating him up. And then I had to rescue the kid who was getting beaten up at this point because I was like, you can't beat him that much. But the point I'm making is that when you have someone who's a bit more powerful or older, who's watching out for you, then it deepens your confidence enormously because you know someone's got your back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the king of kings. He is the creator of all things. He is the one who gave life and who takes life. He has the source code. He is the one. If you get him on your side, then can you imagine the confidence and the deep power that you have to tap into? So that's, again, something that here, if we get the priorities right, we can nail that and we can get access to that. And then the final thing that I wanted to talk about was concept of human beings wanting to keep score. So this concept of gathering up stuff, the, the ayah that we're talking about, it says, should you be martyred or die in the cause of Allah, then his forgiveness and mercy are far better than whatever wealth those who stay behind accumulate. يجمعون. They are actively trying to like gather this stuff up and hoard it up. 
And the Quran doesn't really like this stuff. The Quran in Surah Humazah, he says, Woe to every backbiter, slanderer, and those who amass wealth greedily and count it repeatedly, thinking that their wealth will make them immortal. Not at all. Such a person will certainly be tossed into the crusher and the verses go on. So the Quran doesn't like people who are keeping score with money. And actually lots of billionaires and millionaires, when you talk to them, they say money at a certain point doesn't actually mean anything because once you can basically go on holiday two or three times a year and you can go into any restaurant and order any food and you can buy pretty much any car that you want and you have a decent house. At a certain point, having more money than that, once you get past the few million mark, there is fundamentally no real tangible value that it adds to your life unless you have like more perhaps charitable plans or other plans and i guess the thought here that billionaires say is that well we still want to actually make as much money as we possibly can because for us this is a way of keeping score between us and everyone else just making sure that we're actually heading in the right direction and so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is saying that don't keep score with money that's not the thing to keep score with the thing to keep score with is hasanat the thing to keep score with is maghfirah and rahmah of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala those are the real currencies that we should be looking to maximize on and so this is something else that we should look to achieve with our wealth as well so that the currency that we're actually looking to maximize is not the pound sterling in our bank account but the currency is the hasanat in the akhirah and if the pound sterling can actually help increase the hasanat in the akhirah then that's what we should do as well and by the way my view on this has always been that charity is one side of the coin and the other side is investment these are both ways of allocating resources and if you can do this allocation of resources in a way that is helpful to the muslims and to people and to the ummah then so much the better is my thoughts on this so that's pretty much it from my side. I hope that's been helpful and interesting and useful to people. Feel free to ask any questions or share your thoughts or any observations that came to you as we were going through this as well. Happy to take your contributions as well. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروا إنه هو الغفور الرحيم. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.